Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So, and I have a sinus infection. And I'm Ann Friedman, and I am just really tired. (laughs) (laughs) okay this is gonna be a very early days of cyg podcast this is gonna be a like do we know how to work our equipment what are we even doing (laughs) is anyone even listening that's what's happening this week is anyone listening um okay tell me the headlines what are we talking about today oh my god well on this week's agenda we are talking about some serious things and also many unserious things including cats both capital c and lowercase c and when celebrities do interview podcasts. The world is never low stakes, but I feel like the news has been representatively bad lately. I don't know. How else would you characterize it? Yeah, it's like the beginning of the year has been such a bummer. It's like between watching Australia burn, that it's taking the toll that it's taking for the planet, the toll that it's taking with the animals, and just watching like kind of their leaders be just as baffled about the problem as, as we are is something that is not encouraging. And some of them being willfully unengaged in in solving the problem. Right. You know, I'm like, I am very far away. And this is a point of concern to me. It's a point of concern that like, you know, a lot of their public officials are still on holiday. And then there's like everything with Iran, you know, being in this bubble. uh, You mean our work sequestered? Yeah, we are like fully sequestered in the desert and hopping on Twitter and seeing that Franz Ferdinand was trending and it was not because they were playing at Coachella. I have to say (laughs) that was like the shock of my life. So... It was not a best of the decade moment. Yeah, not a best of the decade moment. And, you know, but I, at the same time, I think that a thing that I am learning in our sequestration, is that how you say that word? Yeah, sure. Being sequestered is I'm tapping into like a collective anxiety about the news and I am also anxious. But there has been something really nice about not being anxious with other people about it that I think has been really helpful to me. Right. Like we have a very immediate task at hand. And so when we are we are not spending a lot of time sharing anxiety and amping each other up about the news right now. Right. And that was very apparent to me this week. And I was really thankful for it. And I think it also just like kind of put into focus some like coping skills that were good. Obviously, this is not a call for don't read the news or don't you or know. spend your life sequestered in the desert. Like <laughs> right. don't become the Unabomber. Like don't like, you yeah, know. you know, the Unabomber probably slept great at night <laughs> in that cozy hoodie, <laughs> in that cozy hoodie of his, you know, or, or a general, like don't write your Congress people or don't be engaged. Like I'm not saying like, don't be engaged, but I do think that there's just something to be said about the way that, um, 
news anxiety is contagious and that sometimes it's okay to step away from it. Also, we all have a lot of work to do or things that we should be doing. And it's easy to say like, you should focus on that. Like that is not how the brain works. But um, I have been really grateful that I have been able to channel my energy and my anxiety there. Right. And one thing that I am thinking about a lot too is how many of the people who I most admire in terms of the way they are active about trying to align the world with their beliefs, people who are like, you know, activists in it for the long game. The people I most admire are limited in the number of issues they're like super informed about and active about, and they are doing things no matter what is trending. Like they are, they, they have kind of like ongoing practices to address the fact that like these are all ongoing problems. When I start to feel that sense of like, oh my God, like everything's in flames and our terrible president is starting wars and like, you know, ethnic and religious minorities are being like run out of town, run out of the country in other places. You know what I mean? When I start to like, like that rising panic of like watching all of these news items pile up, I really try to think about, um, you know, okay, like which of these things am I informed about? Which of these things can I be taking action on in a long-term meaningful way as opposed as opposed to like having a panic moment right now where I'm like, like spraying false information all over the internet. Right. And also respectfully, I think (laughs) I obviously know how anxiety works. So this is not a, like, I'm not shaming anyone, but I also think that you can remind yourself also is how close you are the one that is to danger. And I think that for me, that has been like immensely clarifying of like, okay, like this is, the world is not great, but physically right now today, I, uh, you know, I am doing fine relative to a lot of other people. And having that perspective also, I think, kind of gives you your marching orders about what you're supposed to do. It's like the more removed you are, the more work you should be doing. Work, not fretting. Right, not fretting. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I was like, I am not in the path of a bomb. I am not in the path of a fire. I'm not in the path of a lot of things. It's such also a wake-up call, you know, that... um, life is really unjust and it's really unfair and and a lot of times that is closer to a lot of people than it is to me right and i also think that that feeling of being removed from a problem but like being confronted with it all of a sudden in that very social media on the internet kind of way often i find myself immediately going through but what is there for me to do about it and i i feel like that is a sign that like i'm not actually invested in this issue in an ongoing way like i was saying before the people who i know who are long-term invested are like, yeah, okay, well, I know the fact that like there is a bill coming up to do this, or I know about this aid organization because I'm invested in this issue in an ongoing way and I fundraise for them every year. Like, And I think that there's a world in which you can give in to the panic of like, I don't know what to do about everything and instead decide to become an expert in a couple of things and like be in them in an ongoing way. And I do think that you're right about the keeping in mind what is actually at risk for you personally. But I also think that there's an inverse of this that's like, where do you have a personal investment and toehold? And and that is also a place to start, you know, like the things that you are closest to. Yeah. And I think that this thing that you were saying about also becoming an expert is really resonating with me because I think that a thing that I am noticing a lot in the social media panic of it all, or even my own response is just the sense of like, well, I don't know enough. And mm-hmm. here's the deal. If you don't know enough, it's time to become a student again, you know? Right. And, and not a teacher. And <laughs> right. It's like become a student. 
And so much of this too is about not just outsourcing your own understanding and your own uh, brain power and everything to other people teaching you things. Even if you are reading the newspaper, you should be a critical reader of the newspaper. I One of my anxiety coping tactics is that I only have two websites that I check about the all of the problems. I was like, I'm sticking to these two. Callyourgirlfriend.com? Callyourgirlfriend.com and call... <laughs> Please don't do and that. Callyourgirlfriend.com. <laughs> and, you know, I have two websites that I'm sticking to. And, and even in just reading those two, you have to challenge a lot of assumptions. Just because, like, a reporter is telling you something does not mean that it's true or it doesn't explain the, the depth of the issue or the problem that is happening. And so I I've just been so reminded of that, of... There is just, um, you are a student for the rest of your life. and If you're lucky. Yeah. And if you don't know something, there's no shame in not knowing, but there's probably a little bit of shame in pretending that you know. And there's definitely uh, a really missed, like there's a huge missed opportunity if you don't find out for yourself. Like it's not a, you know, these things are not out of, uh, they're not out of reach. If you have time to listen to this podcast, you have time to find out a little bit more about the geopolitical issue of um you know like a part of the world or you have the opportunity to find out like why certain countries are on fire when others are not like this is not we have all of the tools to do that and so i think you know not to sound harsh um but i have to remind myself of that all of the time that it's not someone else's job to teach me things i have to i have to do the work of learning right i was actually thinking about this not not to make like a um a, a fluffy pivot to the Golden Globes, but I was thinking about this. Wow, how are you going to execute on that? Watch, watch me spin. Watch me spin. Wow, gymnastics. <laughs> um, when many people in my feed were sharing um, Michelle Williams' speech about, like, essentially encouraging women to vote in line with people who are in favor of policies that support reproductive justice, which I'm like, yes, me too. It was really interesting noting that. And seeing that speech kind of come across my feeds at the same time people were all talking about other issues, right? Like, you know, the reminder that like, okay, like actually accessing reproductive health care is something that is like an ongoing issue, something that has like, if you ask me to focus on it, I feel great levels of like panic and despair about. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, like you can also still use your platform to say something that is not about exactly what's happening in the news right now right like there's like an idea about being like okay like i am i'm sticking to the things that i am more knowledgeable about or i am kind of gonna stay the course with this thing that's happening even though maybe the public attention is somewhere else right now and i know that's like a dumb convoluted uh example but like it really just kind of struck me as like oh right like this is not the moment that everybody is talking about the last clinic closing down somewhere, or this is not a moment of panic about something specific happening in legislation. And it's like still worth talking about in like a long game sense. Wow. And that pirouette, amazing. Tens all across the board. The only time my physical prowess has ever been praised. (laughs) Uh, Let's take a break. Thank you. 
Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra-chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Well, let's devote the rest of this episode to total bullshit because, one, I don't know what's going on. We've already (laughs) confessed our brains are melted and that people who don't have good info should not be speaking about the news. Yeah, don't listen to us. I do not know. Um, What was that? um, Was it Miss of Carolina who did? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is an internet deep cut. That is an internet deep cut. Do you remember that lady? Yes. I, um, I looked her up recently because... It, um, that speech. Maybe, Gina, you can play the speech. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they should uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much South Carolina. Okay, it's worth noting that Mario Lopez is cracking up at the end of that answer. Uh, So this, I think about this clip often because anytime I think of someone who is not informed speaking about something they're not informed about, I remember this poor woman and I looked her up recently and I believe she's a realtor now and I was like, wow, everything turns out just fine for everyone. But... Like, my favorite thing in the entire world, especially, like, when I worked in an office, is if someone just looked you in the eye and said, I don't know. I respect that so much. I, I, like, I love it. I, like, you don't understand the depth to which I just, I was like, wow. Now you have opened up, a like, an, an avenue for us to do the best that we can do. As opposed to just being a bullshitter in the Iraq, such as U.S. Asians, you know, it's... It's just, what a moment. Right. What a moment. So essentially, we are going to uh, pirouette to topics that are <laughs> that are not of global importance because otherwise we would be Miss South Carolina 2007-ing ourselves. Right. So, well, you know, I'm kind of Miss Carolina 2007-ing myself in the sense that I don't know anything about Cats, the play. Oh, I'm sorry. We're talking about Cats, the play now? Yeah, we're talking about Cats, the play now. Let's talk about Cats, the play. Um 
Gina Dalrax sent us a hilarious article to read about Cats the Play. Oh, it was about something I've already done, which never happens. I never read a trend article and I'm like, oh, I've done that. <laughs> um, it's about someone who got stoned and went to see Cats. Many someones, in fact. Right. Here is my experience of Cats. I, capital C. Cats, capital C. <laughs> I obviously saw the trailers when they came out because so many actors are in them. And I was deeply disturbed at the shape of the cats. You know, I was like, are these like anthropomorphologically like sound? Like what's going on here? Also, the cast made no sense to me. I was like Idris Elba with Taylor Swift, with Jason Derulo, (laughs) with, you know, I was like, what's going on? Like, I just, I, I didn't understand. And then I just shelved it as I, um, I'm going to say something that might be controversial, but musical theater is not for me. And so I know nothing about musical theater. I am not like judgmental about it. I just, it did not come to me. And so therefore I know nothing about it. Then I went to do a quick Wikipedia of cats. and A Wikipedia? A Wikipedia of cats. And within 15 seconds, I had to close the computer because all I could think of was, oh, this just sounds like cocaine. I got it. Like, none of this makes sense to me. You do need to understand that it was created in the 1980s. <laughs> right, which I didn't know. I didn't know that, that song Memories was from Cat. Like, I just, I don't know anything about Cats. Also, why you would have an entire, like, award-winning musical with a theme as Cats. is Like, I don't understand any of it. And so I emotionally divested. But I greatly enjoyed reading about people who got stoned to see Cats, which, as you know, your experience, do you, like, would you say it was enjoyable? <laughs> I like the idea of you interviewing me as if we're on like a talk show. Like we are like, on a talk like show. one of those one of those screenshots of like an early Ricky Lake or Donna Donahue <laughs> episode where like under my photo it says like Anne got high and saw cats. Well, you know the Ricky Lake Anne, right? <sighs> Anne doesn't know how to make guacamole, which is which is also very much not true about me. Okay, like I I make a good one avo guacamole. I make a good big bowl of guacamole. I like uh, it's a respectable guacamole. It's true. Anyway, um, so I would also like to say, <laughs> I recounted my stoner experience of cats for you before this article was circulated, before I, knew, before I knew it was a trend. Here's the thing. I would not consider myself a musical theater fan. Again, just not my thing. I did also did not know the plot of cats. I knew it was, it's like, I knew the logo. I knew it was like one of those, I don't know. I knew it existed. I did not know it didn't have a plot. Which is really the issue. Cocaine, one hundred percent. the the plot The plot is um, cocaine and leotards with fur on them, and I believe that was the case even even when it was confined to the stage, like before it entered the uncanny valley. Which also uncanny is too weak a word for this valley. I mean, it's a ravine. It is like a dark, dark place. Can I ask questions? Since you're the cats expert now, um, is this the first cats movie? To my knowledge. However, I, uh, I didn't even do a Wikipedia. I was involved in a group chat, which someone later suggested we change, to, we change the name to Jellicle Chats, which like... That's what the Jellicle Ball jokes Okay, are so they are a, a category of cat called a Jellicle Cat. This is like designed... This is the stoniest thing ever. That's never defined or explained. Maybe if you read the T.S. Eliot's original poem that this is based on, there is some explanation, but I don't think so. Who... Known anti-Semite, T.S. Eliot, (laughs) British poet. (laughs) Thank you, Anne, for the perspective. (laughs) Always a teaching moment on this show. (laughs) I'm just like, you 
know, sometimes people's reputation should follow them. Anyway, um, you might also know him from like whatever classics reading you had to do in like your college 101. That's where I encountered him. Exactly. He's somebody's greatest hit. Um, anyway, okay, so the plot such as it is, is that there are these cats. They call themselves Jellicle Cats. It's sort of like a um, Sharks and Jets kind of crew thing to use another musical theater reference. Oh, no. Is that the... West Side Story. Okay, okay. But okay. whatever. It's like it's like a cute club or like a... I hesitate to use the word gang, but like they're like a crew. They're like a crew of people who call themselves Jellicle Cats, who have set up a distinction between themselves and other cats. So it's not like a it's not like a race of cats. It's like a it's like a it's just they wear a cool jacket. Interesting question. So the jacket point brings up some another interesting thing, which is that <laughs> some of the cats wear clothes and some of the cats do not. And it's not like a Donald Duck thing where you know how Donald Duck doesn't wear pants. I know, which is so <laughs> offensive to me to this day. <laughs> um, it is it is like some of the cats wear clothes, some of the cats don't. Also, some of the cats wear fur, which is like kind that of the equivalent. Is so rude. I know it's like it's sort of the equivalent of like a um, like thinking about a human being in like a skin suit or something like it is Uh. horrific it is like actually horrific if you consider the implications which if you saw the movie stoned like I did you were most definitely considering the other (laughs) thing about some of the cats wearing clothes and some of them not is that the cat bodies are all like the interpretation of like what is like this human cat hybrid um, varies from cat to cat and I don't believe this is a like distinction between are you a are you a jellicle or not like they're all terrifying the Idris Elba cat has like it is like that is like there's a lot of body showing right do you think that every actor was like I need my cat to look like me so you know well like, you know which, Jason Derulo's complaint well yes that he, that his Derulo is not showing enough <laughs> Oh my god! Speaking, speaking of YouTube videos from like the early two thousands, the the twenty hour cut of Jason Derulo singing his own name, Jason Derulo. Thank you. I'm doing that so wrong. That um, is the outro music for this episode. Uh, but so you're telling me that every cat is different, like, and I am just speculating that every actor needed their cat do a thing that they wanted physically maybe also the cat human anatomy is extremely unclear at one point the james corden cat like james corden is in this movie yes oh gosh the james corden cat like falls on a beam and his like legs are on either side of the beam and he kind of (laughs) makes like an oh face as if he's been hit in his genitalia but he's a cat and that's not where his genitalia would be like it makes no sense wait where is cat genitalia i pr- i'm pretty sure it is not but oh my god actually now i don't i'm i don't want to google I this i don't know anything about cat anatomy like i've seen cat butts for sure well i just assumed it was all back there listen <laughs> i feel high just talking about i this. i am shocked that we're having this conversation and there is no marijuana happening but where where do cats pee from I just Googled cat anatomy. <laughs> I'm seeing the anus, but not reproductive organs. <laughs> okay. I see a, I see a kidney. I see a gallbladder. But it's definitely not between. The, I love how. Okay. P.S. This okay. is an important side note. Neither of us are people who are into lowercase cats, the pet either, which explains the, the like double confusion here. Everything you need to understand about Anne and me is that very early in our friendship, she helped me move into an apartment where there was a cat that needed to be contained. And I had never held a cat before. Like I didn't know how to carry it. And I watched you bravely carry the cat. And to this day, I don't understand how one does that 
gesture. I don't like holding living things whose heart I can feel beating. Like that is like a weird. Well, what about me? I mean, <laughs> I know, but I'm not like fully lifting your body like with my hands around the center. Like, One day, like, inshallah. We, we, speaking of aerial ballet, we are not doing lifts. Um, we are not. Okay, fine. Okay, can can the Google search be cat reproductive organs? <laughs> okay. She's back. She's back. And I got to say, that stuff is not down between the legs. <laughs> no matter what your cat gender, it is out the back. Man, how convenient this anatomy. You know, good for the cat ladies. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, wait, let's go. Can we please go back to the plot, the, the non-existent plot of cats? Because I, I have a, a couple of other important things to tell you about this experience. One is that, you know, that experience, the the kind of stereotypical stoner experience of like, you look at your hands and they look huge. Yes. The hand size is the number one, like your stone feeling. Okay. So conjure that feeling while I tell you that the cats in this movie uh, do not remain a consistent size in proportion to their environment. Sometimes they are like as tall as a door handle. Sometimes they are as small as like like an iPhone, the size is dramatically shifting and sometimes multiple times within a scene. The other thing that's weird is that there's no humans playing humans in this movie, but there are other humans playing other types of creatures, in particular mice and cockroaches. And the human hybrid cat, the human cat hybrid Rebel Wilson at one point eats... (laughs) And you could be making up all of these actors, (laughs) and I would believe you. James Corden, Rebel Wilson. What? Oh, my God. Okay. At one point, human-cat hybrid Rebel Wilson eats human-cockroach hybrids, like puts them between her mouth and eats them, which is almost as disturbing as cat Judy Dench wearing a giant fur. Judy Dench. Judy Dench. Okay. The perspective thing makes me so mad because, you know, in those Fast and Furious movies, yes, they go out of the way to make sure that everyone in the movie is the same size, which if you're working with The Rock is impossible, right? It's like... Vin Diesel is a very small man compared to that. And I was like, if they're doing this for movies, you should do this for your if they can do this cat TV show. With iconic bald action stars, yeah. they can do it with cats. <laughs> Make me mad. Human, human cat hybrids. Wait, okay, but you didn't answer my question. Did you? Was this like an enjoyable experience or was it like a, whoa, I'm tripping out the whole time? Not like unenjoyable, okay. but like, where was the focus? Well, for context, the people in this Washington Post article, like were, were seriously having breaks with reality. Like one of them <laughs> had to like go vomit in an AMC bathroom. One I'm of having them, a break with reality. You're telling me Judy Dench is wearing a fur coat in this movie as a cat i will say for me i loved it i don't know what that says about me but i was like i was not so disturbed that i couldn't handle it mostly i was just marveling just marveling that this exists like just marveling that like i am going to a movie theater in the year 2019 technically my 2019 and seeing (laughs) (laughs) and and seeing like someone put this on the movie screen like that 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 feeling of like how did this happen? All the people that had to watch it and sign off on it to get to this point. Like, I was just delighting in the kind of absurdity of it all. Good for you. But also, like, the question is, how do you, how do you feel? Like, like for example, one of my favorite movies to watch while stoned is Val Kilmer in The Saint. Oh, the best. Thank really you. good, right? Like, so. you know, but I don't, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there are some people that, like, don't like a good, bad movie. You know, like, it's a personal preference. I mean, there's also categories of good, bad movie, I will say. I think that uh, I obviously love a good, bad movie, as you know. I think that if there are drugs involved, 
if the movie is already like drugs, it makes it harder for me to enjoy it on drugs. You know what I mean? Where wow. I'm like, okay. You need to bring the drugs, not the movie. Right. Like I, <laughs> that's, just, that's just how we're going to enjoy ourselves here. And also, I think it definitely depends like what kind of drugs you do. Like, uh, you know, Cats is not like a marijuana movie. So, oh, disagree. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm saying for like the way that I enjoy, like the different kinds of drugs that I enjoy to do with different types of content. What is your dream marijuana movie? Your ideal? I mean, I have so many. Usually, I love to watch an action movie mm. like Stoned because it does like considerably slow it down for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is like uh, Keanu is moving too fast. This now, now your Fast and the Furious size comment from earlier makes a lot of sense. Right. You're like, I'm moving too fast. But I, you know, honestly, my ideal stoner day is like an animal documentary, is like a nature eating itself the meerkat is popping out of the meerkat the human meerkat hybrid is popping out of the house oh no 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 no. we do not do psychedelics in this house (laughs) (laughs) see so that's the thing is that's for something like that i'm like i would like to do a psychedelic but like the idea the thought of being glued to a screen on a psychedelic is i'm like that will I'm going to need an emergency room for that. Look, I'm not going to a movie theater on psilocybin mushrooms. Like, there are some people in this article where I'm like, you are on a different plane. I know. When I saw that, I was like, y'all are wild. That is for a museum with an expansive outside area. (laughs) You know what I mean? But some light legal marijuana use, like, please. Totally, totally, totally fine by me. So anyway, that's my review of Cats. Man, now I just really want to get stoned. Uh, Let's take a break. Amina, what's a word for a live-in babysitter? <laughs> you know, Anne, it's funny that you would ask. I was reading an article in the New York Times recently. The what now? Um, <laughs> in the Nuevo York Times, uh, my hometown paper, about Dax Shepard, which... Who? Um, who is an actor that if you have seen uh, NBC TV shows uh, about large families, you probably know him. And uh, he's an actor that's married to Kristen Bell, and he hosts this podcast called Armchair Expert. And the article was about him, essentially. The thing that is funny about both the article and the setup to the article is that he is not the only host of his show. So here is the subhead for the article. Uh, Subject, Dax Shepard is listening. The actor's interview podcast, Armchair Expert, is very popular. Is he the next Howard Stern, Terry Gross, or something else entirely? And so if you scroll through the article, there are these very fun, high-gloss photos of him and his co-host, Monica Podman, who is mentioned nowhere in the subhead, mentioned nowhere in the subject of the article, but clearly is uh, the second host of this podcast. In the article, as they describe her role, she is, quote, his quieter co-host who also handles the behind-the-scenes work of wrangling guests and editing interviews. I'm going to read further down. Much of the work that Miss Podman does on the show, fact-checking, the editing, the scheduling, takes place off mic. When they started recording the show, she worried about getting enough airtime. Huh. Um, the reason that Anne asked me, uh, the reason that you asked me what... Uh, 
what another word for a live-in babysitter was, was that this was the role that um, this woman filled in Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell's house. She's described as their live-in babysitter, which I'm like, isn't that a nanny? Like, unclear, but I, like, I don't know how rich people operate. Semantics aside, this whole, the whole thing is just, like, very fascinating to me about kind of, like, how Hollywood uh, work operates you know so it's like okay you had you had someone who like works for you in a domestic realm and now they work for you in a professional realm which is fine it's to me saying that um somebody has these kind of big uh like responsibilities on a show i don't know fact checking asking follow-up questions scheduling scheduling booking guests why is in this article like is monica padman the next howard stern terry gross or xyz and I guess that uh, the answer is that she's paired off with a celebrity. Yeah. I mean, I think that this article frustrated both of us. We were ranting about it in the kitchen. <laughs> the, the reason that this article is so frustrating is because it does not take into account in its framing of him and his importance and like how he's doing this interviewing work. The fact that the only reason this show is popular beca- is because he's a celebrity who other celebrities feel comfortable talking to, in part because he's a peer, but also in part because he gives them the opportunity to cut portions of the interview after they record it in case they regret something that they said, which is something that it's a detail included in the article. But if you read the framing of it, I mean, this is not something that Terry Gross lets her guests do, for example. Um, Ask Adam Driver why. (laughs) (laughs) What what was I saying in the car? What was the, like... Oh, Anne does an amazing Adam Driver impersonation. What? <laughs> it's just me <laughs> dropping the, the, the <laughs> um yeah terry gross doesn't do this howard stern doesn't do this and also famously terry gross and howard stern two like kind of self-made media people right um self-made in the sense that they were not big names when they started when they started their interviewing and uh you know both have like huge platforms where anyone will respond to a message from them and the point of like sharing this is not to uh berate like celebrity podcasts this podcast is actually the armchair expert podcast i think is very good actually it is a great celebrity podcast it's a great celebrity podcast um and i think also that you know and it also has to be said that um, having someone who is kind of in the same industry or shares kind of the same, you know, you're in the same social situation as obviously opens up a way better channel for communication. It's the reason that we love to listen to podcasts about journalists interviewing journalists, so on and so forth. And so I take more like kind of umbrage at the times and a lot of these celebrities just being like, oh, this person has like an amazing interview show and they get to book all these guests and blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you think that happens? It's like, well, (laughs) welcome to having a platform. Like it happens because you have a platform and you have access and you have an in. Uh, It's not to say that they don't do the work. Again, like the podcast is very good. Monica Padman is definitely doing the work. Yeah, Monica (laughs) Padman is definitely doing the work. Shout out to Monica Padman. And it's like, I'm I'm remembering that Variety interview with Conan Conan on the cover. And maybe- Hang on, I'm going to find that exact headline. What exactly did the headline say? It was was like the cover. Oh, yeah. Headline, how Conan O'Brien and other top hosts are tapping into the podcast revolution. This is literally from like 17 seconds ago. You know, podcasts have been here since before Conan- It's not taking issue with a celebrity and what they're doing. That is uh, so lazy to me. It's mostly about a framing that says that um, a medium is not relevant until certain people show up. And those people tend to be uh, famous white men. 
And uh, that, I think, is a very lazy kind of framing. Yeah, I mean, I also really struggle with the way that he, that Dak Shepard in this particular profile is aligned with people who are coming out of a more journalistic tradition, for sure. I'm not going to say that, like, Howard Stern is Mr. J School 101. But definitely, you know, in the sense that they are, in many cases, not friends. Terry Gross, not friends with the people she's interviewing. Someone who does not let people go back and edit out things they might have said that they regret. Um, But I think that also extends to um, the way that they do the interviews. I mean, one of the examples in this article is that Casey Affleck went on Armchair Expert and they didn't really push him on the various shady things that he has been accused of. And, you know, he has this, the Dak Shepard tells the interviewer that he's like interested in everyone's story and like, you know, even a serial killer, he would want to hear their story. And it's sort of like, (laughs) yeah, sure. Like lots of people want to hear serial killer stories. Like that's a whole strain of content. But also there is a whole thing about people being able to come on your show and know that they won't be faced with tough questions. I mean, I think that you can want to hear someone's story and also accept some accountability in continuing to give them a platform. And that's what someone like Terry Gross has to do that is very different from someone like Dak Shepard who gets to be a celebrity pal when it's convenient and gets to be the next like big interviewer when it's convenient. That's the crux of it for me, right? Where, of course, like you can give anyone a platform, but saying that they are your pal and not interrogating how their need for publicity at this exact moment aligns with you having a ginormous platform where you can just make them seem like a sympathetic, cool, nice person. I'm not saying that it's dangerous because it's, you know, that's not the, uh, like nobody feels in danger, but it's very disingenuous from the stance of someone who is saying that they want to like humanize a lot of people and share stories that are relevant. I was like, well, you're not pushing them. You're not doing any kind of follow up and you are not addressing the thing that they're in the news for, which a lot of times is the thing that is interesting. Yeah, and I think, look, like everybody who is in a position to interview someone who is publicly known has to make choices about what they ask them about and like how they contextualize their past. You and I have not always agreed on like what guests should be asked or like what we want to focus on when we bring people onto this podcast. Like you can answer those questions a lot of different ways, I guess is what I'm saying. Like I don't think it's like... Anybody who has someone who's accused of doing something horrible on their show is also horrible by extension. Like, I don't believe that. But I also think that, like, you need to be open to criticism for what you do and don't ask someone. And I think, like, characterizing someone like Dak Shepard as a great interviewer is very much in line with some of the other things that are happening in terms of celebrity coverage. You know, like the fact that Beyonce is on the cover of a glossy fashion magazine only answering questions from her biggest fans and like not from a journalist, which like Beyonce is a pioneer of this, like I'm going to not be asked a question that I don't want to be asked. It's where everything is headed. Like it is the future. So that doesn't feel like Dak Shepard is the only one out there alone doing this. It's more like I'm just frustrated about the framing of this article. Well, do better article writers. is that it's also some of this is so funny to me because I think that I like it a little bit also as insider baseball because a little bit of the texture of this story also the Dak Shepard story the Dak Shepard story 
is someone who was on one career path, aka being an actor, and you can decide for yourself how successful he was at doing that. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> no, I'm saying in the sense where like this, he, he's someone who like worked a lot. The quality of move of like movie and TV show or whatever is up for debate, but I don't know what his barometer for like I have a successful sure. career is. Is what I'm saying. So as someone who was on one career path, and now has like discovered this other career path, you know, and I think that it's fair to say that he's definitely praised more for his podcasting than he ever was for his acting. And so seeing the real time, like him respond to that. And, you know, like there's a part in the article where he's like, you know, maybe I'm the next Howard Stern. And you're like, really? Like you, you know, Howard, like I I have my qualms with like Howard Stern as content in general, but Howard Stern's work ethic is like unimpeachable. Also, part this Howard Stern story is that he's been there for so long. So to have someone like do a podcast for however many seasons this has been going, and to automatically be put in since twenty eighteen, since twenty eighteen, <laughs> the year before last year, um, and to automatically like be given this kind of like get that cachet is the mechanics of the interior lives of white men are always fascinating to me. And I was like, you know what, like. Maybe it is true. Maybe you are the next Howard Stern. And now we're going to crank out Howard Stern's like every three years uh, recycling actors from TV shows. Yeah. And I, I will say, I think it's interesting, like on on the point about gender, like there are definitely women who are actors who have very successful podcasts. Like, you know, I think like Anna Ferris's podcast, which has been around for a very long time yeah. um, and is also very popular. That's another perfect example of like someone who talks to other celebrities and is kind of like semi open about her personal life or like you kind of know that like, you know, who her spouse is or isn't in the background. Like that is like a perfect parallel here. And it's not really mentioned, you know, like I find it really interesting that he's not kind of aligned with her as an example of someone who's been doing what he's doing and is instead like immediately elevated to this like other stratosphere, I guess, of known interviewers. Right. And some of it I think has to do with the perception of the topics that he talks about. Like he talks a lot about mental health and addiction and things that are hard. And again, (laughs) this is why the frame is lazy. One, there are entire strains of podcasts about that. This very podcast tackles mental health every once in a while. Uh, You know, there are the Anna Ferris podcast, like, mentions that a lot. Yeah. And so it's also interesting to me, like, who is worth listening to Mm. when when we're talking about things like that. It's like, what's so different about, um, you know, Dax Shepard asking someone addiction than it is if uh, like if um, Anna Ferris asks someone if, about addiction. Yeah, if yeah. Anna <laughs> Ferris asks someone about addiction or Jonathan Van Ness, or mm-hmm. you know, it's like what is that? What is the difference? You know, that's the question that we should keep asking ourselves because um, I just I always I always find it interesting like how these voices get elevated and how they become lionized. And again, it's not you know I keep saying that the podcast is not bad because. That's I, not the issue. It, but but the reason <laughs> but the reason that I keep saying it is actually because a lot of times that is the issue. The issue is that you're listening to this like very mediocre kind of like ugh like why is this even here and it's so easy to see a distinction. And the thing that I find so interesting about this is that it's actually like a good product and it doesn't do anyone a service. Like articles like this and framing like this, like it doesn't do anything for anyone. I was like this. Uh, well, it does something for Jack Shepard. Well, definitely did something for Jack <laughs> Shepard. I take it back. Um, Monica Padman, I hope it's doing something for you too. Truly. Um, also, the pictures are great in here. But you know what I mean? Usually the thing that you get mad at is that it's not good. And then on top of that, there is all of this like elitism and favoritism and blah, 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 blah. And here it's like, no, it's good. But guess what? Like other people are just as good, if not better. 
And those are not the people that you're giving a voice to. And so who gets to make those decisions? Yeah, and I think that it is sort of the equivalent of being in a meeting a woman says something and it's like crickets or like the conversation just steamrolls on. And then a man says the same thing that she just said. And everyone's like, Hmm, interesting point. And to you, piggyback on what Anne said. <laughs> not even to piggyback, just to full outright repeat it. I mean, you know, he like, I think, I think that like, it, it feels like the equivalent of that. And, and I think that like, I'm pretty sure we did not talk about the Conan on variety cover, but I think that there were many similar conversations around the way, like the popularity of podcasts were framed there too, which was really similar of just like, you know, what you said earlier, like now that this well-known white man is doing it, it's a thing, but it's not a thing until a man like this is doing it. Right. And usually those people are doing it as a career pivot. So <laughs> like that to me is always the, the much more interesting thing. It's like, Oh, Conan, do you still have a TV show? What's going on there? Why are you doing a podcast now? <laughs> Okay, what would you, this is like a funny question, but like, what would your, if what would your pivot be? What is your like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with podcasting. I'm, I'm done with being like a media icon. Like I want to be powerful. I'm done with being a media icon. I mean, I think that like, if I'm using the scale of us, like yes. the next thing that I would do is probably a newsletter. It's like, oh, okay. Like I'm done with podcasting. I'm going to do that. Or, you know, I'm finally going to stop fucking around and make my TikTok happen. You know what I mean? Oh my God. <laughs> that is like, you know what I was I mean, what were you going to say? I, I would love, I do love that for you, but I would also, wow. I'm immediately subscribing to your newsletter in my mind. And like, don't you worry, would, coming to you 2020, you would be amazing at TikTok. However, Uh-oh. what's the pivot? I thought you were going to say like, I'm going to make amazing like body products. Like I'm going to make amazing. Oh like, yeah. But that's like a, that's like a pivot pivot. I mean, I know, like, that's okay, what, I'm saying, that's what you were pivot. asking. Oh yeah. 100%. I'm going to become a skincare guru. You don't think podcasting is a pivot pivot for Doc Shepard? Come on. I mean, no, it's still media. He's still, you know what I mean? You're still like a public facing person. It's not like he went and opened a garage. But only public facing people can successfully like start products these days. You're right. What's your pivot? Hmm. I'm not good at anything else. What? First of all, <laughs> this is a lie. You could 100% open a restaurant and have like a, like a sandwich haberdashery. Are you mm. kidding me? You would kill at it. Or a restaurant called Roast where you just like roast vegetables. Oh my God. Roasted. So, so you think I should be a lunchtime scammer? <laughs> I think you should be, I think you would be the best lunchtime scammer. And if you ran one of those like $17 salad places, I would lose all my money there. You combine the best vegetables. I'll take it under advisement. Okay. Well, uh, let's scam, let's scam solo when this book is done. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I think that's as much as I have in me today. Great. Me too. Now, um, you want to go do the rest of our work now? Let's go do the rest of our work. See you at Dak Shepard's house. Oh my God. See you on the internet. Happy New Year. Happy birthday, Anne. <sighs> uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Worm, all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. Call us back. Leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Steed with design assistance from Bridget Morris. Carly Knowles is our merch director and we have editorial support from Laura Bertacci. Our associate producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.